Whenever I take communion, I typically try to consider whether my life is, is matching up to the cross. Communion is kind of like my Sunday to say, okay, is everything that I'm doing really fitting what the gospel says? Is there stuff in my life that's kind of out of line with what the gospel is? Christ died for me. Christ loved me. Am I, am I not showing love in a certain area? Am I dying to myself? Am I living this out? I think that's a beautiful thing that communion reminds us of. How centered am I on the cross? Well, this morning, we're looking at Galatians again, and so I invite you to turn to Galatians 4. As you do that, as you go to Galatians 4, what I'd like to do this morning is something a little bit different and say, okay, we've, we've talked a lot, of, a lot of theology. Okay, we've done a lot of this stuff. We've talked about covenants. We've talked about the law. We've done a lot here. How do we apply this to the way that we parent? How do we apply this in the way that we deal with our kids? And so if you are a parent, um, I hope you tune in. If your parents are long out of your house and, and that's kind of a distant memory, oh yeah, kids, um, <laughs> if that's way in the past, I pray that you still hear and listen because a lot of this is also the way the Father deals with us as His children. What Paul's going to do this morning is he wants to take an example from childhood to make his point about our relationship to the law. Now, I could preach another message on the law, and I'm sure you'd all be thrilled. But what I really want to do is say, what, is, what does all of this have to do with parenting? And that's a good question, and that's really, it kind of flows out of the passage. I hope you see it here. But first, I'll start with a story on the joys of parenting. About three years ago, we took our kids to Disney World. And uh, happiest place on earth, right? Well, we went in July, and it's the hottest place on earth in that time. And I know that's, I know that's my fault. I think I chose the date, right? I'm sure I chose the date. It's my fault. And so we're running around the park. We're having a great time, though. It's a lot of fun. About halfway through the day, you know, heat of the day, we're all exhausted. We're all really tired. And uh, it was time for a break. And at that time, I didn't really know you could bring in water bottles. I, I realized that later they let you bring them into the park because I saw lots of people with their own water bottles. It's that time of the day where you actually look at the, those little uh, water bottles that have the fans on them that cost 20 gazillion dollars, you know, and you say, that looks like maybe something I should actually buy, right? You would never do that on a regular day, but you think about these things when you're hot like that. And uh, it was time for a break. The kids had had enough. How many times can you ride on Dumbo before you need a break from the heat? So, uh, so there we were, and it was time for the snack. And I thought, well, you know, I know, I know it all costs a lot, but we're going we're gonna to take a real break here and recharge. And so we decided on ice cream. So I got out my wallet. I gave it to Christy. Go get us some ice cream. I'll find us a place to sit, hopefully in the shade, and we can take a break from the sun here. So she goes off to get the ice cream. I try to find a place to, to sit with the children. I must have looked a little too long and a little too hard because wherever I found the place to sit, it was way far away from the ice cream stand, okay? So we sat there for a while, and I, you know, I'm just kind of oblivious. I'm the guy. I, I completed my mission, right? I found us a place to sit. Mission accomplished, you know? We're, we're good. We're good. And uh, Christy, on the other hand, has a, 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 a tray a cardboard tray full of ice cream cones for us, and she's looking for us in the 90-plus degree weather. 
And after a while, I was sitting there and I thought, I wonder if she knows where we're at. It's been a while. So I stood up and I started looking for her with the children. We're kind of all walking around. Where's mom? Where's mom? Oh, there's mom. And there's our melted ice cream. It's dripping down the cones, onto the cardboard, onto her hands. It was, it was a mess. And suddenly, it wasn't the happiest place on earth anymore. <laughs> Little bit of tension for the next hour. And uh, rightfully so. And eventually we got over it. And of course, I probably made matters worse and I saw the ice cream and I said, well, at least there's half of it still there. We can eat that, you know. And that probably wasn't the right thing to say. But I was trying to stay optimistic. We had our half of an ice cream cone and uh, went on with our day. Um, parenting is, is a joy. There's good days and there's bad days, but it's always a privilege because when you realize what you're really doing as a parent, you're taking children that God has given you, God's kids, and he says, I'm entrusting them to you. You raise them. You help them know me. You discipline them. You do all these different things, but I'm entrusting kids that I care about with you, with me. That's crazy. I mean, do you know me? I mean, <laughs> I'm not perfect, and neither are you, and yet we have kids to raise. So what I want to do this morning is I want to read this passage in Galatians and say, how do you parent in a way that honors the gospel? Gospel-centered parenting. Does that look different than what you're doing now? I don't know. But I know I can always get better at displaying the cross to my kids. I know I can always improve in that. And I pray that you will too. So look at Galatians uh, chapter 4. beginning in uh, verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 11. Paul says, What I am saying is, as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come... God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive full rights as sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Formerly, when you do not know God, you are slaves to those who are by nature not God's. But now that you know God, or or rather, are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. That sounds like a parent right there, doesn't it? Sometimes we fear, don't we? (laughs) Yes. Um... Paul does something remarkable in this passage. And the first time I studied Galatians was maybe three, four years ago. I went through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and and just studied the thing out. And I don't even know if I fully accepted what he was doing in chapter four the first time I studied it. It kind of blew my mind. He says, when you're a child, you're kind of like a slave. I mean, whether you're, whether you're born into, into the house as, as the natural child or whether you're born into the house as a slave, 
you're kind of under the same household rules. There's not a lot of difference between a child and a slave is what he's saying. He says, Jewish people used to be enslaved under the basic principles of this world. Did you catch that? You were enslaved by the basic principles of this world. And I believe he's referring to the law there. You were enslaved to the law. The law says, do not kill, do not covet, do not lie, and and do not do all these different things. And if you do them, then you're under a curse. You're you're kind of enslaved to that. You're not very free like you really want to be. But then he says later in the passage, he says, um, look at verse 8. When you did not know God... And here I think he's talking to Gentile people, not Jews. You you pagan Gentiles. You didn't know God. You were slaves to those who are by nature not gods. You were enslaved to the not gods. And I think that's just a nice way of saying you followed idols. You worshipped idols. Do you see the comparison here? The first time I saw the comparison four years ago, I said, no, he can't be saying that. But I believe he is. He's saying... Jewish people, you were enslaved to the law. Gentile people, you were enslaved to idols. And there's a lot of similarity there. And you're like, I'm so uncomfortable even saying that, you know? Worshiping an idol, you're enslaved. Underneath the law, you're enslaved. But that's what he's saying. And I'm sure if you're a Jewish person hearing Paul say this, you're like, that doesn't, that doesn't hit me very well. But it's true. Because if you grew up under the law, and the law says you're condemned, you failed, you failed, you failed, you know you'll never measure up. You're enslaved to that thing. That thing is ruling your life. When you want to have God in a heart loving Him, you want that to rule your life. You want God Himself. And if you were a pagan idolater, you were enslaved to the idols. And I think this is Paul's point. Whether you're a Jewish person or a Gentile person, you grew up as a child enslaved to something. You were enslaved to something. But as you come of age, as you come of age, you can now believe in Christ. That is what the law was leading to, and that is what all that that idolatry was leading to. Do you see? The destination is the same. No matter how you grew up, the goal is get to Jesus and get saved and trust in the cross of Christ. Okay, again, I think that's, that's uh, amazing. I think that's crazy that he makes that comparison. But I see why the comparison makes sense. Because neither, neither the law nor idols, the not gods, neither of them save. So, with that analogy and with that kind of understanding the context of what's going on here, I want to ask the question, how do we parent God's kids? And I want to start by saying, our kids have basic questions about life and about themselves that they have to have answered. And we as parents help answer that question. And when we don't answer these questions, our kids are confused. And they look for answers in all the wrong places. Let's look at some of the questions here. And by the way, I don't, I don't think it's ever too late to try to help answer these questions for our kids. It's, of course, it's best when you start early, but, but knowing that every person has these questions and we as parents help answer them. Question number one that we have here is, what are the boundaries? Every kid wants to know, how far can I go? When I got my first bike, I wanted to know from my parents, how far can I take this bike? 
And for a while, I couldn't ride past Truett Street. And that was really, that was rough. You know, your, your friends come over there and they're riding all over the world, you know, and I can't go past Truett. After a while, I could actually ride to my school. I, I attended a small Baptist school. And I, I could ride all the way across town. And that was amazing. But I couldn't go any further. I couldn't ride all the way to the grocery store. You know, so, so I had to know as a kid, where is the boundary? How far can I go? Did I try to push that boundary? Of course, every kid does. They all want to see, if mom and dad let us go this far, will they let us go this far? Will they let us go this far? And so we give rules. Number one is, we give rules for the purpose of loving Christ. We give rules for the purpose of loving Christ. Um, He says in verse 1, as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave. In verse 2, he says, he's subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. He's under household rules. He's underneath these guardians. He's got to listen. He's enslaved to those things. And I don't, I don't believe Paul is anti-law, okay? Like, we've said a lot of things about the law the last few weeks, haven't we? But I don't think in any war you're going to hear Paul saying, I don't like the law. The law is bad. You'll, you'll never hear him say that. In fact, later he says, um, if you look at verse, let's see, verse 9, end of verse 9, or is it 10? Verse 10. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. He's like, you, you don't need to observe the Jewish calendar here. Okay, It's all about Jesus. You don't have to go back and keep doing the holidays as they are in the Old Testament. You, you don't have to do that anymore. But you notice he doesn't say, I'm so frustrated. You, you people are following the command not to lie. You know, that's just driving me crazy, you know. But he says, he says, you don't have to go back to the holidays. He doesn't say, don't worry about the Ten Commandments. All right? Kids still need rules. Kids still, and by the way, what, what about the holiday thing, since I brought it up? I think the holiday thing is not as big of a deal. is because the holidays are pointing towards Christ. Christ has fulfilled those things. And it's almost like Paul, I think, is trying to say, underneath it all, if you follow all those Jewish holidays it feels like you're de-emphasizing Jesus and you're just trying to do the Jewish calendar. It's all really about Christ. It was all pointing towards Christ. So let's keep it about him. But Paul doesn't say, please stop with the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's enough, enough. He doesn't say that. Because kids need black and white, right and wrong. Our kids need to know that when we give them rules, these rules flow out of the Bible, which is absolute truth. Unchanging truth. God's moral law does not change. Okay? As we give these rules, though, we give them for the purpose of loving Christ well. So I encourage you parents to struggle with this. How do I give my kid a rule and yet teach them that to obey that rule is to love mom and dad and to love, more importantly, to love Jesus? Why is it we don't watch rated R movies, kids? Well, it's because we don't want to see things that, that, that are bad. We want to love Jesus with what our eyes see. We want to love Jesus with our eyes. That's why we have these rules. It's not because, oh, R is for wrong. I heard that once, right? <laughs> and all the English teachers just shudder. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> it's not even spelled right. <laughs> it's so we can love Jesus well. And we've got to struggle with that. Because I don't know how to, how to do that perfectly because a lot of rules are just black and white. But you'll notice as your kids grow up, and and you know this, a lot of you know this already, kids start to ask, why? Why do we have this rule? 
And when the kids ask why, and, and, and you, want, you want to say, because I told you so, right? <laughs> Go ask your dad. He'll confirm my, my response. <laughs> we want to say, because I told you so. And part of that's true. Don't, don't get me wrong. But when they say why, it's the perfect chance to say, here's why. Let me take you back to the Bible. Let me take you back to Jesus. Let me take you to what this is really about. If we're going to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, this is what it looks like in our family. And so we're not going to budge on this rule either. Okay? That's not easy, but it's necessary. Secondly, though, the second question our kids have is, who am I? Who am I as a child? Who am I? And so secondly, what we want to do is we want to nurture their relationship with their Heavenly Father. We want them to see themselves in relationship with God. Uh, Look at verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit that calls out Abba, Father. Abba means dad or or, or daddy. It's a familiar, intimate connection between a father and a child. Dad, this is what's going on in my life. And and what, what Paul's saying is, when you become a Christian, God sends His Spirit into your life for this purpose. And other purposes, of course, too. But for this purpose, so that you will feel closer to your Abba. Okay? That's one of the reasons you have the Spirit. So you can have a closeness to God. Now, I know prayer is still necessary. Reading the Bible is still necessary. Those things are necessary for that relationship. But one reason the Spirit is there is to help you feel close to your Father, your Heavenly Father. And so it's our job as parents then to help our kids get connected with their Abba. That's why we're here, to make that happen. And of course, we can't make it. We can't make them choose it for their whole life, but we can certainly nurture it. So that's number two. We nurture that relationship our kids have with their Heavenly Father. If God is concerned about that by giving us His Spirit, If God is saying, I want to be close to you and to prove it, I'm giving you my spirit to help that along. God's also given our kids' parents to help that along as well. So, um, how does that look in my family? Uh, I'll just tell you what we do. It's nothing super spiritual and super special, but I'm just telling you, every night we pray with our kids before bed. Every night, um, almost every night, we'll get out a book of devotions and I'll just read the story and I'll read the verse and we'll talk about it. I'll ask a question in the devotional. It's not rocket science. I don't write a sermon every night for my children. <laughs> okay? That would take forever. <laughs> but, but I do try to keep that spiritual component central that we're talking together. If spiritual things come up in conversation, I take that opportunity to talk about Christ and make sure they know if we have a rule, here's why we have the rule. Here's what's going on in my family. I know one father who was a great storyteller. You know, some of you guys out there, maybe some of you ladies are just really good at telling stories. And he would, you know, he would teach biblical principles by coming up with a new story every night. That was just what he loved to do. So, so do something that focuses on your strengths and, and lead your kids to the Lord. Lead your kids to the throne room of God and teach them. And whether you use a written resource like I do, I kind of like that because I'm not good at coming up with stories on the fly, but, but I can read this thing and I can ask questions and I can talk about it and I can probe. I can do that pretty well. Let me tell you another story about a dad 
uh, in Watoma, I led a, a parents group. It was kind of a married couple's parents group. And we would, we would go through different parenting studies and, and study the scriptures together. And some parents, I don't think we're accustomed to praying out loud in public. And maybe some of you in there in that category as well. And I liked, I was bad. I liked picking on people to pray in public in my group. And I know they were uncomfortable. But I, but I would often call on them, often the dads. I don't, I don't know, I figure I'm a guy. I've been through a lot of uncomfortable things. I'm going to make them uncomfortable too, you know. So I, I remember I called on this one dad to pray. And I don't, he was not used to praying in public. And I'm telling you, I wasn't even ready for this. He starts to pray and it was so awkward. I mean, he's, he's struggling for the right words. He's struggling for the, the holy words. You know what I mean? The these and the thous almost. And you're like listening like, I'm just talking to God like he's my dad. And you're struggling for the holy words, the righteous words. And uh, I'm just, I start bursting out laughing during prayer. I mean, literally, I am just, I'm pinching. I don't do that. I don't, I don't get the giggles like that, you know, like a lot of people do. But I'm pinching myself to stop from laughing because he's trying so hard. And... Uh, that was kind of rude, actually. But um, all that to say, he got through it. We all kind of laughed after it was over. And then maybe a few weeks later, he said, you know what? I need to prioritize prayer with my kids because I'm not leading in prayer in my family. And, and, then, and then after a few weeks, he's like, we've been praying every night. My family gets together and we pray with the kids every single night. And I lead out. Like that... That is so good. That was worth all that awkwardness, wasn't it? You know, I mean, that is so, so good. So I encourage you, if it's awkward, if you're not used to doing it and leading out, it's worth the feeling of awkwardness because when you lead your kids in prayer, it's an amazing thing. You're nurturing their relationship with their Heavenly Father. So that's our job as parents. And, and when, our, when our kids understand this, they can answer that question of who am I? Who am I? And hopefully they answer, I'm God's kid. I am God's kid. I belong to my father. Kayla one time surprised me. We were, we were praying and uh, afterwards she said uh, that she loved me second best. You know, and I kind of thought, huh, second best, huh? Well, well, who do you love first best? And she says, my other daddy. Really? Yeah, God, my other daddy. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but, but that's a beautiful thing for our kids to say, God is my dad. God is my dad. And I'm going to talk to him every single day. We want our kids to have that nurtured relationship with God. So we do all that we can to make that happen. Okay, lastly, the last question we help our kids work through and understand is the question of, do you love me? Do you love me? And so number three, we love and accept our kids unconditionally. Unconditionally. If you look at verse 9 again with me, it says, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, I, I love how Paul stops in mid-sentence. You know, he's like, he's like writing. I, I get to see him writing the letter. And he's like, but now that you know God. And then he stops himself and says, oh, better yet, now that you're known by God. And I say, what in the world is the difference between those two things? My knowledge of God, me knowing him, will always be limited. 
it'll be limited forever because he's an infinite God and I have a finite mind. (laughs) My knowledge will always be limited. I will know him better when I'm in heaven. I will see him more clearly at that time. Right now I'm looking in a mirror dimly as Paul writes in Corinthians. But my knowledge is limited, especially in this life. My knowledge is so limited of him. And yet he knows me fully. He knows me fully. And this word for know... In Greek, it's the word gnosko. And it, what it means is, it means to have knowledge based on personal, first-hand experience. Gnosko. Knowledge, I, I'll never forget my Greek professor teaching me that word, by the way. Um, I remember him in class saying, God knows you from personal, first-hand experience. That is why, for some, on Judgment Day, God will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, God is omniscient. There's nobody that he doesn't know. But there's some people that he doesn't gnosko, that he doesn't know from personal, first-hand experience. I would say it's a knowledge based on relationship. Kind of like, we all know who our president is, but how many of you have a personal relationship with him where you could call him on the phone? Probably nobody. Because we don't have that relationship with him that way. But we all know who he is. And so God knows everybody in this room, but the question is, does he know you know you? Does he gnosko you? Does he know you in a relational sort of way because you've given your life to him? That's the question. And so we want to teach our kids that God knows us and has accepted us fully. We are friends of God. And we will never be separated from his love. He knows us. And we want our kids to understand that we love them and accept them fully, just as God has accepted us fully. That means, and going back a few weeks here, we have to fight a little bit against that performance mentality where if I do enough, I earn it. Where where we say, you know what? The report card doesn't measure up. And so there's some some pushback. You feel feel disconnected from your parents. Now, don't get me wrong. When your kids don't try well enough and give it their best, that is a problem. And And we do bring discipline into the picture there. But it's not based on our acceptance of them. How they perform on the athletic field. That in no way relates to my acceptance of my kids. Even when they sin and frustrate me and drive me crazy, I want them to know that when I'm disciplining them, I'm still accepting them. And that brings up a tension that every parent has to wrestle with. I wrestle with this. God is a God who has accepted me completely and remembers my sins no more. When I get out of line, God as a father disciplines me, right? What's the difference between discipline and punishment? And is there a difference we need to notice there? When I think of discipline, I think, I'm training you so that you can do better next time. (laughs) You're facing the consequences of your actions so that hopefully next time you follow Christ in a better way and obey better. Punishment, I often think of as it's a wrathful thing. I'm going to get you for what you did. And I'm concerned that if, and I, I am sure that sometimes when I have corrected my children, it's been more punishment and wrath. It's more dad's angry and dad needs to do something because he's so mad about what you did. I'm not sure 
that that accurately reflects my relationship with the Father. You see what I mean? Because God doesn't take out wrath on me when I get out of line. He disciplines me. And it can be unpleasant discipline. It can be painful. But I am sure that it's not wrath because I have no condemnation because I am in Christ. So all I'm saying is, parents, whether you call it punishment, I'm not, arguing, I'm not doing a semantic thing here, whether you call it punishment or whether you call it discipline, whether you call it consequences, how do you deal with wrath as you correct your kids? And are you modeling your father when you discipline them? I'm not perfect, but I came to the conclusion years ago that yelling is not typically a helpful thing to get my kids to mind. And I think it was Dr. Dobson that helped me realize this. Um, He gave the illustration of, what if a police officer had only the power to yell at you when you went too fast? He's standing there on the street corner, you're speeding by, and he's just, his face is beat red, and he's just screaming at you. Do you slow down? Probably not, because the power of the law is in writing that ticket and, and infecting our pocketbook, Right? We don't want that ticket. We don't want our license taken away eventually if we kept speeding. We want to obey the law because there's power there. There's consequences. And I remember Dobson talking about this and saying, when you yell at your kids, you might scare them or shake them up, but eventually it's just going to be a lot of noise and they're just going to ignore it. Got to change the way I do this. How do I discipline them to train them so that they know this is coming from a loving father and not an angry guy in their life you know so all that to say unfortunately you and i know we can't choose christ for our kids that we want to model the gospel to them we want to parent according to the gospel we want to love them like god does and by the way i did give you the love languages there i forgot to mention that um i highly encourage you parents to think and even even for your grown children i encourage you to think How do my kids receive love? Five love languages. There's acts of service. There is um, words of affirmation. There's time. There's touch. All those different things. I want to know how my kids receive love best so that when I love them, they will feel it. They will know it. I know know for Derek, words of affirmation fill him up. If if I praise what he's done, he he has felt loved by me. I know for Brayden, it's a quality time, words of affirmation thing. Kind of a mixture of those things. I can praise him, spend time. He's loving that. For Caitlin, all about touch. All about the touch. She wants to cuddle with me. She wants to snuggle with me. When we pray together, sometimes she'll wrap her her arms around my neck and we'll pray. And then when I'm done praying, I say amen. I'll try to stand up, but she's still holding on, you know. And I can't, I'm like, oh, my neck, you know. And, and, uh... And she'll laugh about that, hurting my neck. And uh, it's all about the touch. I encourage you this week to think, how do my kids receive love? And then love them that way. It's not that other love forms aren't valid. It's just that you want to love them as best you can so that they know that you accept them and their Heavenly Father will too. Now, as I was saying, I was trying to close with, with a comment on I know that we can't choose Christ for our kids and that causes a lot of pain, a lot of conflict, a lot of turmoil. I I get that. I I see that. So what I want to do is I want to encourage you parents, um, keep, keep praying for your kids 
And, and I want to, in two weeks, I want to come to the end of Galatians 4, and I want to say this. I want to do a message on how do we deal with prodigal kids? How do we deal with the kids that aren't following our direction, that have walked away from the faith? Um, will you fill in the blank. How do we respond to that? So next week, we're going to do a Thanksgiving message leading into that holiday season. The week after, I want to do that message on Galatians 4, dealing with prodigal kids. And then we'll be in December already, and uh, we'll be doing a Christmas series out of Ruth. And we'll be focusing on Ruth and focusing on Christ for Christmas. So just so you kind of know where we're going, and you can be praying about that as well. So we're going to close now. I'm going to ask you all to stand with me, and I want to pray a prayer of blessing for us. Lord Jesus, I admit, we all admit, we are so imperfect. We don't love as well as we should. We don't discipline as well as we should. We don't train our kids as well as we should. We, we fall short, and yet, and yet we know your grace is abundant. We, we know that you are the perfect Father, the Heavenly Father, and, and you lead us and you guide us to help us do this better. And I pray for families in the church today. I pray for parents that they would lead their families in a gospel-centered way, in a way that says the cross is the most important thing in this family, the most important act of love that we will always imitate, we will always try to be that. God, help us love our kids sacrificially, help us guide them, help us discipline well, help us set out the right rules that will help guide them in loving you, Jesus. And I pray also for parents here that are hurting because their kids are far from where they could be or far from where they need to be. I pray that they might get encouragement in a few weeks as we look at that uh, really hard, very difficult topic. In the meantime, I know we're approaching Thanksgiving and, and I pray that we would truly be thankful for our families, thankful for all you've done, thankful for our veterans. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. You have done so much and you are always good. So I pray that we would go now with thanksgiving on our lips, thanksgiving in our hearts, for you are a great, good, and faithful God. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.